0: Inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. We're taking a break from our usual episodic fare for something very different. Esteemed podcaster Steve Guerra invited me on his show, Beyond the Big Screen, to discuss the Mel Gibson movie, Apocalypto set in Mesoamerica during the Aztec Empire and Mayan civilization. I hope you enjoy the final part of this interview.
1: One particular element connects the beginning and the end of the film. The main character puts his pregnant wife and his toddler son into this deep, pit. And I was wondering, I know that in central Mexico and in the Yucatan Peninsula, they do have these like pits. And from your research and from what you maybe know about the movie, was that a man-made object for water collection or was that a natural uh, geographic feature, geological feature rather?
0: I think the one in the movie was a natural pit cave that also served as a water reservoir. Some communities, some villages who built their own pit caves, but I think this was a natural one. It was depleted of water, and that's why it was used as a hiding place by the hero's wife and child. Now, we learn later on in the movie that the whole area is experiencing a severe drought. Thus, understand why the pit cave is empty. And when it begins to rain later on in the movie, we then understand why the hero reacts in a panicked fashion because he knows what's going to happen.
1: And um, there's so much great foreshadowing in the movie. It's wor- well worth mentioning that it has a lot of tropes that are built into uh, chase movies. Like there's a jump off of a waterfall. There's fire arrows. There's there is all sorts of great things. And I think that that's what's great. This is just a great movie. And then you layer on this incredible setting of a historical era and a historical people that, at least in English language movies, we're not accustomed to seeing. I thought that that was really a great thing that they, that Mel Gibson, that's what probably elevates this to a great movie.
0: Oh, definitely. Well, allow me to tell the folks a little bit about Mel Gibson, who was born in New York State, but at the age of 12, his family moved to Australia where his paternal grandmother was born. Now, for many years back in the 80s and 90s, I thought that Mel Gibson was Australian, like most folks. He has that accent, and his first movies were made out of Australia. But actually, he's an American. He was born in the Northeast. In Australia as a young man, he began acting and soon became one of the world's most popular leading men for two decades. And in the midst of this immensely successful career as a versatile actor, he turned his varied talents to directing. And in my opinion, morphed into a serious, visionary, master filmmaker. It's remarkable how Gibson can film scenes of heartfelt emotion with sweet subtlety as easily as he stages some of the most vicious visual scenes of violence that you will ever see. Now, I'm not a big fan of violence on the screen, blood, guts and gore. I can sometimes do without the extent in which he goes to, but he really knows how to lay it on and for it to be effective. Now, in Apocalypto, Gibson shows his staggering gifts as a a filmmaker, and he's able to put forth a dichotomy of the Mayan society, which was beauty and brutality, sophistication and savagery, the negative, the positive, the good, the bad, the pretty, the ugly. He goes everywhere, shows the culture, but also the cruelty. So I really feel that He encompasses all of what that society was in a two hour movie and does it very, very well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think two pieces that are worth mentioning and worth discussing was there's some scenes where show people who are clearly infected with some sort of like smallpox or something to that extent. And then the famine. And I'm wondering if that was uh, there was clearly crop failures and some sort of weather uh like you said there was they were definitely experiencing a drought because everywhere that they showed were failed crops and uh failed uh agriculture and i'm wondering if at about that time when the spanish did reach mexico did the disease kind of move ahead of them when if when they landed were people already being infected with these uh Eurasian diseases like smallpox, etc.
0: That's a bizarre part of the movie because they tell us that it started in 1502. And history tells us that Europeans' first contact with Mayans was probably in 1502 by, uh, during Columbus's fourth journey, but not really in that area. And the contact with the Mayans happened only a bit later. I think Gibson takes the encounter with Mayans during the year 1511 and kind of morphs or merges it into the setting of the movie and the time frame of 1502 and has all that happening at the same time. But you don't know what the little girl is suffering from, the girl who, does it, who, who appears in the movie and is inflicted by the plague. The disease that the Europeans brought, which ravaged the indigenous inhabitants of the entire Yucatan Peninsula, causing a population decline, which varied from 75 to 90 percent, that disease was smallpox. And she seemed to be suffering of that. But had the contact actually been made? So that's a little confusing there. But we know that the disease was one of the reasons why the whole area was decimated due to the unwitting transmission of it by the Europeans. And we also know that if we take a mature, once again, view of history, that both societies, upon contact, exchanged viruses and diseases. It's just that unfortunately for amerindians they got the shorter end of the stick and they were more affected by european diseases than the europeans were from any viruses that the natives were transmitting we get it you're busy you don't have time to waste on the mainstream media that's why salem news channel is here we have hosts worth watching actually discussing the topics that matter andrew wilkow the de souza brandon tatum and more Open debate and free speech, you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24 7 at SNC.tv and on Local Now, Channel 525. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with calatrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calatrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking calatrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. T-O-R-Y using the code 30605.
1: One thing that um, is interesting is the agriculture of the indigenous Samara Indians of Mesoamerica. What kind of agriculture were they using at that point? They kind of show like corn stalks. But um, I think they wanted to draw our attention to that a bit. But what what kind of agriculture would have been common amongst those those particular people in that particular place?
0: Well, as with so many things in their society, they were very sophisticated and they had developed advanced farming techniques and their three staple crops were what they called the three sisters, corn, squash and beans. They really knew how to efficiently grow these crops in order to feed their large cities. However, one thing they couldn't do was grow those crops without rain. And that's why the droughts were so devastating. That's what seems to be happening at the time of this movie. The drought is causing great pain and suffering to the Mayans. And that's why they're going through this period of human sacrifice in order to try and appease the gods. Now, another thing they were sophisticated about was astronomy and they knew when astronomical events occurred including eclipses of the sun now when they're about to sacrifice our heroes as sacrificial victims a solar eclipse occurs and the executioner pauses the mayans take the event as an omen that the gods are satisfied with the blood spilt so far and that's the reason why jaguar pa who is the name of our hero and the remaining captives are spared from sacrifice But this was, at a certain level, trickery by the powerful and the folks who were in charge of the society, the leaders, who had the knowledge to know that there would be a solar eclipse at a certain time and a certain day, and a big show was put on. And the movie takes place during one of these big shows when, in order to enhance the power of the king and his court and all the priests, they are executing prisoners and warriors until the solar eclipse arrives, which gives them the power that they are communicating directly with the gods.
1: Well, yeah, that was that was definitely a, a powerful part of the movie. And it, I didn't realize that that really changes it, even uh, having seen the movie that much. I kind of thought that maybe it was for show and that they knew that that um, eclipse was coming, but I didn't know the the extent of how well they could predict that sort of a, a solar event.
0: If you don't know that fact about the Mayans, then what happens in the movie seems a bit hard to believe as a coincidence and uh, seems to be one of those Hollywood contrivances. But actually, the way I interpret it is that the Mayans scientists, and we can use that word, they knew it was coming and that whole event was planned around it.
1: Mel Gibson is an absolutely prolific filmmaker, and there's just so many movies he made. Maybe you could tell us some of these movies, because I'm sure a lot of people uh, have watched many of them, but just to give people kind of a scope of what a magnificent filmmaker he is.
0: In addition to Apocalypto, Gibson directed 1993's The Man Without a Face, 1995's Braveheart, for which he won an Oscar for Best Director. 2004's The Passion of the Christ, and 2016's Hacksaw Ridge. And you can tell from his directorial choices that he favors historical dramas. He also acted in a revolutionary war film, Patriot, which your series covered at one point, and I enjoyed that episode. But like all non-documentary films, his movies are what one can describe, as I mentioned, as Hollywoodized history but he does it in such an effective way. I saw Hacksaw Ridge recently, and he strays a lot from the actual events that occurred at Hacksaw Ridge during the Pacific War and World War II. But the way he brings it all together, because we have to remember films, and and I know you've repeated this often throughout your series, films are not history, they're not documentaries, they're art, they're culture, they're entertainment. And I think he's a master at what he does, I like it when he delves into the historical zone, because I think that's where he, he's at his best. And I hope that he continues.
1: Yeah. His movies are, his acting is unbelievable too. He, uh, great roles, like in payback, uh, the, probably what, you, um, might be the new Christmas classic fat man, where he plays Santa Claus anti <laughs> antihero Santa Claus, which just came out, uh, just a incredible body, body of work. And I, I hope that um, personally he's kind of overcome maybe some of his demons that brought him to, I mean, alcohol and drugs and that sort of thing can definitely bring out the worst in people. And maybe he does have a healthy dose of the tortured artist in him.
0: He's a very intense human being. We can see that in his interviews. One Hollywood reviewer recently said, and I thought that was so apropos, he said Mel Gibson's a lunatic, but he's our lunatic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think as a, a great way to wrap up today. I I always am interested in hearing what people think and what their idea would if Hollywood knocked on your door and said, "Mark, pick a interesting time in history for a movie, historical drama movie setting. What would be your choice?"
0: I'd pick Mel Gibson to do a movie about the American Civil War. I'd like to see how he would treat that in this modern age. And I would really like to give him free reins, a huge budget to do just that. And I hope he stays in the realm of history, even if he avoids the Civil War and goes elsewhere, I'll be following.
1: Yeah, that would be a That would definitely be a great one. Well, Mark, uh, thank you so much for coming on today. uh, I've learned more about this wonderful movie that, like I said, I've seen it many, many times, and I'll definitely go and watch it again uh, based on this conversation that we had, because I think I'll be able to look at it uh, again through a completely different lens. If people want to, um, and they certainly should, go listen to your great podcast, where can they find more information on how to subscribe?
0: Everything about my projects and activities can be found at markvinet.com. That's Mark with a K, because where I'm from, some folks spell Mark with a C, but in my case, it is the letter K. So it's M-A-R-K-V-I-N-E-T dot com. And there you will find info regarding my History of North America podcast and video cast series, along with details regarding the nonfiction and fiction books I have authored, including international historical, mystery, and suspense thrillers. Each novel revolves around a missing historical object that the hero and heroine must locate and retrieve. All my books are available in print and digital format on Amazon. Some have described my novels as Da Vinci Code meets Mission Impossible. So they're thrillers, and I hope folks check them out.
1: Well, that's really great. I um, I very much appreciate you coming on to the show. And I, I have a feeling, and I uh, definitely hope that the people can hear more uh, collaborations between us on the History of the Papacy podcast, because I think there's a lot of area uh, of overlap that we can talk about there, too.
0: Thank you, Steve, for granting me the great honor and privilege of sharing your wonderful audience. It's been a real pleasure, and I hope we can get to do it again soon. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying visuals. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you enjoy the listen.